0: We're in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 3. And as you have a Bible that you're able to have maybe open in front of you, this would be a good time to grab it. Or if it's on your phone and you can not get distracted by people texting you, then you can do that as well. These are the very words of God. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love and eager to maintain. I want to talk about, uh, I think we're going to need to, well, take our time through this. And as we're working through God's word, we're going to see that a lot of applying what Jesus has done for us is going to happen in our relationships. I want to tell you a story about Scratchy Cat. You know, Scratchy Cat was a cat. I don't know if you would gathered this from the stories you've been telling so far, but he's not the dog in the story. He's a cat. And cats, by nature, are kind of solitary animals. They like to um, be by themselves very often. and so. But Scratchy Cat had to learn how to seek unity. Um, Scratchy Cat was living with Master and with Dog, and he was l- kind of... L- ...able to exist in the same house as these other uh, beings. Um, He understood master was master somewhat subconsciously though for scratchy cat he never wanted to really admit that he had a master because he was his own cat scratchy cat was his own cat and so he did master the favor of doing things like dropping off dead mice outside of his door just just to keep master happy because he remembered the last time master got pretty upset that scratchy cat was not dealing with the mouse problem but he he did master the favor of sometimes doing nice things for him but scratchy cat was his own cat and he knew that he lived with dog and he knew that dog was pretty big pretty dumb too but pretty big, and so he didn't mess with dog that much anymore because he knew that there were some teeth inside of that dumb mouth of that dog's But He was his own cat, and he liked doing his own thing, being fairly independent, being fairly isolated. But the thing that Scratchy Cat found out was that um, he actually still needed stuff. He needed things like can of Fancy Feast opened up and warped into a bowl every once in a while, which is, I think, the sound that Fancy Feast makes when it's warping into a bowl, something just like that. And sometimes Scratchy Cat needed to get let outside, and he hadn't quite figured out those round doorknob thingies. And um, sometimes he just got bored. And so whenever Scratchy Cat wasn't getting what he wanted, he he developed a technique that he found was quite effective in trying to get what he wanted as he wanted this independent isolated life but he he needed some stuff every once in a while and so scratchy cat would do this meow 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 the message scratchy cat was really good at figuring this thing out and he found out that if he did that usually someone would give him something he wanted sometimes scratchy cat decided that he needed a uh, a flip-flop because that's what master would give him through the air at rather high speeds but scratchy cat usually managed to get what he wanted especially if he started doing this at two o'clock in the morning when he decided it was time to eat Well, Scratchy Cat was fairly independent and not a super blessing to dog and master as he just, meow, meow, meow. That was most of the interaction was, meow, I need something, meow, I want something, meow. Until one day, Scratchy Cat was watching television on the big screen. And it was one of those nature shows you know, where they hire some famous person to pretend to know something about the world while they read a script and uh, about animals or something like that. And this episode of Earth or Planet, you know, the Orange Planet or Blue Earth or whatever it's called, was about lions. And Scratchy Cat saw that there were these cats in the world that were humongous. And not only were these cats humongous, they got to kill things, like really cool things, like gazelles and sometimes elephants. And Scratchy Cat was really interested. This is amazing. Look at these huge cats. I want to be a huge cat. Look at these killer cats. I want to be a killer cat. And then it dawned on Scratchy Cat what was going on here that these cats actually worked together. They actually, as a pride, would work together, and live together, and hunt together. And because they did together, they were able to eat things like elephants. And in this realization, Scratchy Cat got a brand new nature. And he decided, I am no longer just some whiny, meowing, domestic domestic cat. I am now a lion. And dog and master are my pride. And so Scratchy Cat started to actually, like never happened before in all of human history, work together with the other living beings in his house. And whenever Dog got out of the house to go and bark at the mailman... Scratchy Cat would also get out of the house and sink his sharp teeth into the mailman, too. And it was great. And whenever dog got out of the backyard in order to chase a car, cat would also get out of the backyard and watch dog chase a car because, you know, there are limits to everything. And Scratchy Cat, whenever the master actually wanted to do something, Scratchy Cat would be interested in what the master was doing because he knew now he was part of something bigger than himself. He was part of a pride of lions. Scratchy Cat learned a little bit about unity. Well, I've been thinking about unity, and I think timing's great for coming to this passage in Ephesians because um, we've all, in one sense, with this whole shutdown, social distancing, whatever, I don't think we've ever experienced a lockdown lockdown. We've got the state of emergency social distancing. And... Pro- probably all of us could say we have been kept from doing what we want. Amen? I just need one person to raise their hand because you're 15% of all the people here. I see an eyebrow scratch. I'll take that. I see your eyebrow scratch. That's all the encouragement I need. All of us can say we have not been able to do what we want. And and all of us can probably say we have not been able to be with people we want to be with, Right? And all of us can probably say we have been forced to be with people we haven't wanted to be with as much as we've had to be with them sometimes. Annoying siblings, anybody. Am I right? And so here's the big question for us. How's your unity with the church been going? Especially if you're a Christian family, how has the unity with your local family church been going? Some people have decided to take this time as a time to totally disconnect from their body of Christ or almost totally disconnect from them. Okay, how's that going? Some people have been just really grinding against the Christians that they live with. And it's not been great. How's that going? I was, you know reading this newspaper article. I actually don't know how this newspaper ended up in our house because we don't subscribe to newspapers, but I found a Winnipeg Free Press in our basement. I, don't, I have no idea. Uh, Jackie probably knows, but I just was going to bed last night and there was a, a Winnipeg Free Press. We don't get the Free Press, but it was in our basement. And the article was about how um, domestic violence rates have gone up in many places in the world, astronomically in the last month or two, as people have been kept from their regular lives and added to all these social and financial pressures and they're forced to be living together and people are just fighting more with each other than they usually would because they're not in regular life and they don't have regular comfort and they don't have regular peace and we're taking it out on each other. For millions and millions of millions of people, this season of these last three months have been a time where they found out that they aren't in unity with people as much as they thought they were. And it's come out in sometimes terrible, terrible, terrible ways. And I was thinking about this, and I was in my just regular Bible reading um, on the 15th. I was in Matthew 15, and I was reading the story. Do you remember this one where Jesus was about to have a meal, and his disciples hadn't washed their hands? Anybody feel like there's added pressure to wash your hands all the time? Like every store you go into, they've got these, all these spray bottles of hand sanitizer. And, you know, the conspiracy theorist in you is going, I bet that's not real hand sanitizer. I bet you that's some tracking device, liquid tracking device. And you're, everyone's running all over their hands. They don't need liquid tracking devices. If you have a cell phone, everybody's watching and listening to everything you do already. So. Anyhow, so you've got to wash your hands just to go into a store nowadays. You've got to wash your hands. You go to Canadian Tire, and they've cleaned off your cart, and you're supposed to keep your hands on your cart as you walk around the store all the time to keep down all this stuff. Well, this taste of like having to wash all the time and worried about cleanliness all the time, this is a taste of what it was like to live in Jesus's day, because the First century Jews were super sensitized to cleanliness stuff, but it wasn't just about worrying about germs, though that was part of it. It was also all tied in together with being acceptable to God. And what they'd actually done is they had taken the cleanliness rules that should have just applied to the priests and the Levites, and they'd said, you know, things are so bad, and we're ruled by the Romans, we must be unclean, so let's apply those cleanliness rules to everybody so that even... Joe Workaday synagogue goer is meant to be living with the cleanliness rules that the priests who ministered in the presence of God were meant to be living by. They were just upping the requirements of all these things in order to try to get acceptable to God. Maybe this reminds us of what Darnell was talking about here. But they didn't actually have their peace, and so they were adding extra rules and extra rules. So here are all these Pharisees. They're rebuking Jesus and his disciples for not washing their hands the right way before they eat, even though I don't know if there was ever a rule in the Old Testament that said everybody needs to do that all the time. And Jesus kind of flips out on them. And he starts rebuking them for making up rules that destroy the commandments of God. And he goes off on the fact that even though the Bible says you're supposed to honor your father and your mother, they had invented this rule that if you say, all the wealth I ever have that should be used to take care of my parents in their old age, I'm going to give to the temple instead. He said, you guys are all great for that. You guys are great with people giving you money, even if they don't support their parents. And he said, you guys are making up rules that destroy the word of God. And then... Later on, he's talking with his his disciples, and this is the big point. And they say, oh, why did you freak out about the cleanliness thing? And he says to them, there isn't anything you can eat that makes you unclean. All the stuff that goes into you comes out of you. Right? First it's McDonald's, then it's the bathroom, with a certain amount of time in between. But he says, "That's, that's how food works. Nothing that goes into you Can make you unclean, can make you evil. All the evil you will ever do comes out of your heart, he says to the people. And so as I was thinking about that and feeling this culture of like hand washing and cleanliness and, you know, if you're not wearing a mask when you go outside, people are like, you're evil, you're selfish, why aren't you wearing a mask? You should just be dripping in hand sanitizer all the time or you're evil. And I think Jesus, from this passage in Matthew 15, would say to us, world, there is no virus you can get that makes you fight with people. If you have disunity, if you have arguments, if you hate people, that comes out of your heart. And there is no amount of lockdown that made that go in there to come out. It was in there to start off with. Amen? That's what Jesus was saying. If you do anything evil, if you fight, if you bicker, if you whine, if you complain sinfully, if you're sinfully angry, if you're fighting with your spouse, if you commit adultery, if you do any of that stuff, it's not ever your circumstances. It's always your heart. There is no lockdown that can make anyone a jerk. We're jerks first. And the lockdown is just an opportunity for it to express itself in a new way. This is the reality. Jesus had a locked down life for the last few hours of his existence. And he never sinned. He went to the cross forgiving and blessing and saving his enemies. And that is the standard. Everything less than that comes from a sinful heart. Not from a virus. Ah! And this is great news. Hello? This is great news. Why is this great news? Because even if the last few months of your life are proving to you that you have sin in your heart and you have evil in your heart, today you can come to the man who has the right to forgive you and the power to change you. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if your life in the last few months has been proving to you that you are not a Christian because of the evil coming out of your heart... And because you don't love Jesus through this time and he is not been on your radar, today you can, wherever you are, you can bow your head before the Lord and say, God, I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven. Would you please forgive me in the name of Jesus? I give you my life. I want to be transformed. I want to live forever. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to find out that everything I've been spending my life on is for nothing. At the end of time, call on the name of Jesus and you will be saved. This is great news, and sometimes God will organize a person's life so that they can see just how not right they are. They can finally see their sin and their need for Jesus, and this is the kindness of God. And if your life has been showing to you, you need a Savior, today can be your day. Just bow down your heart to him and say, save me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. And you know what? Wherever you are or whatever's been going on, if you mean it, Jesus means it. You are forgiven today and you are made right with God. And now it's all about walking out the rest of your life with your Savior. And maybe you are a real Christian, but the last few months have just been pressing and pushing and showing you areas of immaturity, areas of unbelief. Today I have great news for you. You can be forgiven for what you've been doing. And God can transform you and liberate you and make you more like Jesus today. And this is what this passage is talking about. The Apostle Paul is saying... He's just finished three chapters of gospel. If you remember, let's do a quick recap. He starts off by praising God that from eternity past he chooses a people, sinners who deserve nothing, to save them by grace and love and make them dear children. In chapter 2 he talks about how undeserving we are. We're not just people who do evil things. We're spiritually dead and controlled by Satan. And we don't have any hope unless God in love and by grace reaches into our lives and makes us alive with jesus and changes how things going and that is what he's done and then he gives us all these good works to do in his name as a gift not to earn anything but because we're walking with god now and we're his masterpiece And then he goes on from there and says, now that you're united with God in Christ, God is actually uniting a people of all tribes and all nations and all languages and all skin colors and all heights and all ages. And he's uniting a people together, one with Jesus to be the new humanity and the new people of God in Christ. United with God through Jesus, united with the church through Jesus. This is the project of the church. Because God wants to put on display for all spirits and all nations from all times the riches of his grace. That even though the whole world rejected him and rebelled against him and deserved to be destroyed, he reached out through his own son through suffering and death to rescue a people and renew this creation to create a new people who are one with God. This is his triumph. This is his glory. This is his plan. And this is the worship of eternity. We'll never get bored because we'll always have this triumphant act of Jesus to revel in and to learn more about. And so now, as this this whole massive, glorious accomplishment that we are enjoying is described in the first three chapters of Ephesians, in chapter four, he begins to teach us how to respond well. And it doesn't have anything to do with a Super Tuesday, where you get bonus points to earn your way into heaven. If you're one with Jesus, You are one with heaven. Jesus is heaven. Jesus is the God of heaven. Jesus created heaven. If you're one with Jesus, you're already done in one sense. There's nothing more. You can't get any higher. What are you trying to be better than Jesus? You're one with Jesus. You can't get any better. But in the wisdom of God, we need to grow and change. We still act a lot like we're not one with Jesus. And so the scriptures give us wisdom and correction and rebuke in how to start acting like everything that is true is true. And it's really interesting that as Paul begins to tell us how to live this life that is worthy of what what God has done, he starts off by saying, you're going to need to be humble and gentle and patient learning to bear with other people, and seek to, eagerly seeking to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's just a really interesting place to start. Missions are important, but it doesn't say, in response to what Jesus has done, why don't you sell everything and move to another country? Why? Well, because if you haven't learned how to live with people, you'll just take your conflict to Afghanistan that you were having in Steinbeck. The glory of the gospel is that God found the way to live at peace with people who he, didn't, who he wouldn't naturally be uh, drawn to because they're so lovely. And so the first job of a Christian is to learn how to live peaceably with people that we wouldn't necessarily think are making our lives better in every single way. So let's look at these words, humility, gentleness, patience a little bit, and then talk about some practical stuff we can do to become zealous unity keepers in the spirit, working on our relationships, fighting for fellowship. Number one, the word uh, humility there. I want to take humility and gentleness together. Um, I have a hard time wrapping my lips around this one still, but it's like tepino frosunes, and prautes are the two words for humility and gentleness. And the first one, tepainofrosunes, really just means having a low low thinking. It's just a word like low and the word for mindset. You put it together, you get a low mindset. So humble thinking about yourself. And prautes means, uh, a good definition of it is, this is great, welcome to class here the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance how do you like that that word there and which is interesting for me that it's translated gentleness. Because usually when you think of gentleness, what do you think about? You think of like light touches, right? Be very gentle this is my favorite Bible, be very gentle with Oh just oh, oh, oh gentle, oh I might crickle the page. You know, you think of lightness, you think of softness, you think of like just tiptoeing, Ooh, but that's not really what it means. It's how you act when you don't when you're not thinking about how important you are. When you're not going into every relationship going, this person better make me feel important. This person better make me feel significant. Does this person make me feel like I'm something special? Does this person... And you're always kind of trying to be aware like Scratchy Cat. You you know, you're convinced you're probably the most important person in the room and you're always aware of whether or not people are agreeing with you that you're the most important person in the room. And gentleness becomes almost impossible because when people start failing you, you need to let them know that they're not treating you like the most significant person in the room. And prautis just means, I don't care if I'm the most important person in the room. Because I know that whatever room I'm in, Jesus is the most important person in the room. And so I care about whether other people know that Jesus is the most important person in their room. I'm thinking lowly of myself. I'm not really that impressed with myself. And so I can relate to people out of that lowliness knowing that Jesus is more important to them and to me than we are to each other. Now the reason I want to take these words together is one of the most famous statements of Christ in the entire world comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Remember when Jesus says, If anyone is uh, weary, let them come to me and I will give you rest. For I am lowly and gentle in heart. And you'll find rest for your soul. Remember that? I've I've misquoted it just a bit there. But the important thing is those two words where Jesus says, I'm lowly and gentle, those are those same words there. So when Paul is calling the church to begin to work on their unity in relationship, he uses Jesus' own self-description of himself When Jesus is reaching out to sinners to try to take away the burden of sin from their life. And when I think about that, I just think about, you know, if there's anybody ever who could rightly be concerned about their own self-importance It would have been Jesus, the God-man. You know, come down from heaven, spending all eternity being loved by the Father, spending ever since the day he made the angels, having the holy angels, praising him, worshiping him, always obeying him. Parents, always obeying him. Jesus being used to everyone, always obeying his will, shining with like lightning, his skin whiter than bleach, just like shining in glory. And then he comes down to earth, passing through a birth canal, the lowly son of a carpenter, um, living a few miles away from kings and castles while he just lives in some mud hut, working with his hands, being constantly rejected, constantly misunderstood, constantly having the assassination attempts plotted against him, being under spiritual attack from the devil all the time, sometimes being hungry, sometimes being like being dirty and filthy. Just, he's the most important person ever. You wouldn't have been able to tell. In fact people were so regularly offended at his lowliness because he was humble and, and and gentle there wasn't a person on the planet worthy of touching Jesus Jesus touched lepers proto he was he did not walk around with this demand for his own self-importance even though he was the most self-important person sorry the most important self there could have ever been so i think about that stuff and then i think about how the lockdown has has pressured me right like rob how many times have you been really concerned about your needs and i've been feeling for myself like I've, i've been working on these ideas of trying to remind myself that everything is about being discipled in jesus if Jesus is in control of everything, then everything that happens in my life, I should be seeing through the lens of being discipled by Jesus. Every situation is a situation from Jesus. Every challenge is a challenge from Jesus. Every relationship is an opportunity to become more like Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I'm being discipled all the time. Every day is training. And I think for sure the, the whole social distancing has, has pressed selfish buttons in the home for me, for sure. Right? Right? I could be easily annoyed. I, the kids the kids can be happy, but still too loud. Which is still crazy. But some, I'm not getting something I want. And so I've, I've been finding that I am really having opportunities to see every relationship during these social distancing times as a training ground from the Lord, as a gift from Jesus for me to go through to become like him, to learn true humility of thinking less of myself, of thinking less of my self-importance, and realizing that In every situation, I'm supposed to be on mission for Jesus in all of my relationships. Let's talk about this word patience for a little bit. I really like the the root of the Greek there. I'm not sure if they caught it every time they heard it, but it's this word macrothumia. And macro, you know, if you've ever heard of macroeconomics before. Anyone, someone, whatever. Me and my poindexter friends, we talk about all the time. And um, it means big. Macro means like big or long or large. When you're wanting to talk about things, things you talk about at the macro. And it's the opposite of micro. Micro means small. Macro means big. And thumia means like passion or often anger. It's like your strong emotions. And so their word for patience means to be like long of anger. Meaning essentially it takes you a long time to get really angry. The Hebrews say it a little bit different. They call it long of nose. Because I guess they got this idea that when people are angry, their nostrils flared. You know, like really angry. So when you're long of nostril or long of nose, that means that it takes a long time before your nostrils go, because you're angry, right? It's like a dog. You know, when a dog's angry, they pull off their nose, and the teeth come out, but their nose does weird things too. And so if you're really long of nose, it means that you don't, you don't let the teeth out very often or as quickly. And what this makes me think of is, if you're around Steinbeck, have you ever noticed how they are digging these huge water runoff trenches around town. There's one over in that direction-ish. There's one in my neighborhood in Deerfield where they just dig out tons and tons and tons of dirt from where there used to be like a little creek, and they make it so that it can become like a pond if it really rains heavy. So, and the idea there is we know every once in a while there's going to be a ton of water coming down, and it's going to overwhelm the waterways. It's going to overwhelm the ditches unless we dig out a huge place for all of this water to gather so that basements don't get flooded and houses don't get flooded. And what they're doing there is they're really building macrothumia. They know there's going to be this passionate downpouring of rain someday, maybe not every year, but every five years probably, maybe every 10 years, there's going to be a massive downpouring. And they're digging out space so that when all that rain comes down, it doesn't cause damage. It's got somewhere to go. And that is the Christian virtue of patience, is that God carves out the selfishness and carves out the sinfulness of our heart, and he starts removing it so that we have more room just to go through crud in life without having our anger spill over in a destructive way. And when you're really immature in Christ, everybody knows when you're angry right away. And as you grow in the Lord, he makes more and more room for you to, have, to not get what you want. More and more room for there to be pressure. More and more room for there to be disappointment. He can stretch out longer times before when the problem arrives and when God's solution arrives. You can have a bigger and bigger bigger time without going into despair or going into attack mode. That's what macrothemia means. It's, it's your, able, your ability to stay tranquil while you're waiting for God to come up with his solution. Or to reveal his solution. And though we can uh, sit around going, oh yeah, I want to grow in humility, I want to grow in gentleness, I want to grow in patience. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but whenever we want to grow in these things, in our heads we always imagine it happening like, in the morning with your cup of coffee during your Bible reading. You ever notice that? Oh, man, if I was just on a beach somewhere and the kids were at home with Grandma and Grandpa, then I could be patient. Then I mean, you know how gentle I could be if I was just, you know, having a nice, white, sandy beach. We always imagine that it's the circumstances that need to change and the pressures need to disappear. I don't want to have to deal with that person. Or I want to find a community group that's just my friends or something like that, and then it'll be so great. No, 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 no. No. I think every Christian should assume that God is going to give us a never-ending flow of people we generally don't get along with in order to grow our Christian character. Because you know what? God doesn't save anybody he naturally gets along with. Because we're rebellious sinners by nature. He has to change our hearts. Sometimes we can think, oh, God saved me because he thinks I'm so beautiful. No, he doesn't. He saves us because we're wretched and then he makes us beautiful. We're going there. We're going there. It's Jesus who loves the church like he loves a bride, who's making her beautiful through the washing of the word, who's taking away her spots and her blemishes. But we're blemished. We're spotty. We're not naturally lovely to God. We're objects of mercy. We're objects of compassion. He looks at us and goes, but I'm going to save them because I'm gracious and merciful. And then he makes us lovely through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know I've said something that's just rocking some people's self-esteem right now, or rocking your self-confidence or something. You should have your self-confidence rocked. Why would you want self-confidence in a world controlled by Christ? We want Christ confidence. We want spirit confidence. Why would you want self-esteem in a world that is all about the glory of Christ? We want Christ esteem. It's way better to be a worshiper than worthy of worship in this world. Haven't you ever noticed that? When you can't forget about yourself, you're happy. That's the problem with problems is they make us think about ourselves. That's the problem with problems is they make us think about ourselves. Oh, you've got to stay home. Oh, that's ruining my plans. And you could get sick and die. That's ruining my life. As soon as my comes into almost everything, it's poisoned. Joy comes from worship. It's like, I'm seeing Jesus, the all-powerful, all-glorious one. I'm happy when we get outside of the house and the sun is shining. I'm happy because of, am I making the sun shine? Is everybody going? Rob, you're so warm. I can feel the vitamin D coming as I in your presence. No, get go out. Like get out of the church. Why are you guys still here? There's 250 smarter people than you who did not show up to church this morning that are enjoying some sunshine somewhere. What's wrong with you guys? Thank you for serving. But seriously, I would have said no. I would have been like, you know what the forecast is. But it's okay. we got a million uh, windows in this ceiling, and so you're all hot and sweating. And Scott, you are changing colors in the sunshine right before my very eyes. And what am I even talking about? This is the truth. God is going to sabotage our circumstantial peace so we can have God peace. God is going to sabotage our getting-what-we-want patience because we need God patience. And God is just going to give us many people that we have to bear with in love so that we can learn to be like Jesus who bears with me in love. Oh my goodness, have you ever just sat down and thought about all your horrible sins in life? It's a good habit to get in. You just sit down and be like, oh yeah, five years ago I did that. That was terrible, Jesus. Ten years ago I did that. That was terrible. I I was stuck in that for three years. That's horrible. I was a horrible person. And man, you really just stuck with me during that time. Boy, I ought to stick with people more. If you loved me through these horrible, horrible years, I was committing sins against you, even though I knew who you were. Man, I should be more patient with people who are probably only doing things I already did. Do you ever notice this? I bet you half of the people that get under your skin are only doing things you do to other people because that's part of how God trains us. He gets our attention. Do you know you sin like this, Rob? No, I don't. Here, I'm going to give you somebody who sins just like how you sin, and when you're really upset about it, then you're going to see how bad what you do is. I don't know if I like this plan. All right. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I like that word eager. In Greek it's spoo dadzo. Spooed. Yeah, I know sometimes i m I've just been imagining this like Christian battle cry of spood, which just means like it's time to get eager about the Lord. It's time to be eager. Spoo. You know, spoo. We're gonna go forgive somebody. Spooed. Just you're gonna some family's gonna hear dad in the basement moping and then he's gonna shout spood and he's gonna come up and repent for all his sins. Maybe I did that yesterday. But it means to be quick, to hurry, to, to hasten, to be um, especially conscientious about discharging an obligation. Sorry, I, I modeled that one up. I like how it's described there. Especially conscientious about discharging a duty. You have this call from the Lord to make relationship work in the church with humility and gentleness and long-suffering. And now we're called because God himself was especially eager to save sinners and was pursuing it and zealous about it and was conscientious and particularly getting all the details right, sorry for hitting this, in order to make sure that sinners were truly saved. Don't forget the cross. Don't forget the resurrection. Don't forget the ascension. Don't forget pouring out the Spirit. If anything's missing, it's not a job well done. we got to get this Right? In order to truly save sinners, you've got to be aggressive. You've got to be taking initiative. In this time where in our relationships are all getting muddled and fuddled, have you been aggressively seeking unity in your family? And I especially want to talk to the teenagers, if there's any teenagers watching this. I don't know if there's any group of people in Canada who take less responsibility for their relationships than teenagers, especially with parents and older people. Some of you are just sinfully cowardly and lazy. And you don't believe that Jesus wants to use you for unity in the church. Stop it. Fight. Win. Be spudazoed! Go for it. Shout spooed. And then seek unity in the church and in your family. Don't be so passive. Don't be such victims. Come on. Come on. By the power of the Spirit. We we don't... Even sociologists will tell you that people my age and younger are the most convinced we're victim people in the world. Nobody has ever had it so good in human history with technology and wealth and health and everything and all we do is walk around thinking about how hard done by we are and in response mistreating people. Gah! <laughs> fight. We need to fight. We need to win. We need to take ourselves by the hand. And what I'm not doing is giving everybody ways to complain about the people we live with. If we, if I am not zealously doing my job for the Lord for peace, I need to shut up. I, me, just shut up until I can stand in the presence of God saying, I have done all I can to the best of my ability. According to your word and the power of the Spirit, with faith in the risen Jesus. If you can't say you've done it all to the best of your ability, shut your gob. Stop complaining to people. Stop whining. Quit whining. You know you need some Arnold Kindergarten. Come, <laughs> quit, come, quit whining. And who's your daddy? You know it's exactly this is the gospel. Who's your daddy? And quit whining. Your dad is the living God, who fills you with His Spirit. Obey the word of Jesus. I think for me one of the greatest kindnesses of this time is that Jesus is helping me see what a, a, a lamo I can be relationally at home and he's helped me reduce the time between me sinning and me repenting to a family member about it from it used to be a month when I first got married down to I think one or two minutes. This is my greatest thankfulness that I'm thankful for right now is realizing, okay, I just snapped on my kid I am right now going to go make it right, just like Jesus said. Did you know Jesus said, if you're going to come to worship and you remember that somebody has something against you, don't come. Tie up your cow on the nearest post, go find them, make it right, and then come. Because the truth is, as soon as I've snapped on one of my kids, that is all that God cares about. And so, by grace, he's helping me make that time a lot shorter. And I'm doing it better. Hey, I'm sorry I did some stuff. No, like, I'm forcing myself to say, I, you know, I'm sorry I sinned in anger and that was wrong. And there's usually like, yeah, no, and I stop. No, stop. I'm really, really sorry. Can I give you a hug? And if they're ready for it, I give it to them to make sure we're back in unity. Because Jesus died so that I would give good apologies to my kids and my wife. Amen? Okay. Just quickly, 25 points on how to pursue unity. Just kidding, it's only seven. Because I said 25, now you're relieved it's only seven. Number one, if you care about unity and relationships, you need to pursue the Lord with everything you've got. True unity only comes from Jesus. Um This is something I've been thinking about. Some people will say, you know, I don't mind going to hell. All my friends are there. Nobody has any friends in hell. Nobody has any family in hell. Everybody just hates each other in hell. That is the normal state of things. Without the blessing of God, allowing there to be love, allowing there to be peace, willing for unity, there is only disunity. And so if we actually want... Real unity, it isn't so much about eating pulled pork together, though I love that stuff. It is a gift from a worshipped Christ. Only the Father builds the family of God. Only Jesus makes disciples work together. Only the Spirit builds the temple of God together. So if you care about this stuff, we just leave the blame game alone and start pursuing Jesus with wholehearted worship and zeal, willing to both live and to die for him according to his will and his word. That's how we start. If your family's been fighting a lot, stop, leave your family members alone, and you go and confess and worship Jesus with your whole heart. And if we won't do that, then how can we expect anybody else to act like a Christian? That is blatant, disgusting hypocrisy. Never, parents, ask your kids to be more obedient than you are. Ah. So we've got to go hard after Jesus first. Each and every one of us. We can never, ever blame anybody for not being zealous for Jesus if we aren't first. Number two, do your job. Sometimes there's conflict in the church because people just won't own their role. Like, I know some, there was this thing called hockey one time. You know, thousands of years ago, people played this game called hockey. And they would get on this stuff called ice, on these things called skates. And, uh, but... There there were five people on each team, or is it six on each side? Help me out here, Greg. Six with the goalie. That's what I was thinking. But there's other people on the ice who are wearing these different shirts. What are they called, Greg? They're called referees. You you know what would happen if a referee grabbed a hockey stick and started trying to score goals? It's all over. And you know what happens when somebody who's a captain on one team starts trying to call penalties? it usually ends up in a fight. You've got to know your role. If you're dad, be dad. If you're mom, be mom. If you're single in your home, own your singleness according to the word of God. I got a phone call from somebody who does, who is, as far as I understand, alone in their apartment this, this week. And they're... This is, okay. They phoned to check up on me and see how I was doing. That never happens. But here's somebody who's not locked down with people but is somewhat alone and they're like, I'm going to phone and see how Rob's doing. Here is somebody moving in the spirit and not looking at their circumstances. Know your job. Know your role. Seek scripture. See what shirt God has given you to do and do that. We make a lot of trouble by not just owning our responsibilities in the Lord first. Number three, know your enemy. Understand what your habitual sins are and your weaknesses are. If this lockdown has done anything, it's probably going to show us where we sin as Christians. What have you been griping about? What are you groaning about? What aren't you talking to Jesus about? Where's your unbelief? This time of extra pressure can be used redemptively to know where, where we tend to fall on our faces. And that's good. And the people you're in relationship with, they already know where you tend to sin. But it would be good if they knew you knew and that you wanted to work on it together. So for me, I already shared it. I, I have a tendency to fall into irritated anger quickly. That's going to be my first major thing I fall into because I'm thinking about something and I'm just about to solve world hunger and then somebody says, you stole my Lego piece and it's all gone. Just kidding. I've never been that close to that. But you know what? I know that that's my thing, and so I'm always going to be looking for it. Am I irritated? If I'm irritated, somebody is owed a real repentance and apology. Number four, humble yourself. Learn to confess your sins better. Learn to walk in the light. If you haven't confessed a sin to your spouse in two days, it probably means you're hiding something. If you haven't confessed a sin to your kids in a week, it probably means you're hiding something, or You've been quarantined somewhere else away from them. We sin against each other. We just do. That's what people do. And we should be zealous. Spood! Spood zealous to make sure we're apologizing thoroughly and quickly. Don't make it somebody else's job to point out where you're sinning. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us so we can ask him anytime. Holy Spirit, would you help me to be fully convicted of everything you want me to be at any time so that I can be keeping my accounts clear? And you know what? If you don't have joy in the Lord, one of the first things that goes when you're not fully confessed up is your joy. If you're hiding something, joy is gone. If you're walking around with guilt, joy is gone. If you're not joyful in Jesus, ask the Lord to help you find out where you lost it. And it's probably a sin that needs confessing to somebody Number five, don't be a manipulator. So often we think, if I can just get this person to do that, then my life will be okay. Or that person to do that, my life will be okay. Or if this person would just stop doing that, my life will be okay. We first go to the Lord and say, you're my life, Jesus, so I'm okay. And if I'm going to help somebody, it needs to be out of my love for you and my love for them. Not just wanting to make people stop doing things so that I can have a better life. That's manipulation. That's not faith. Number six, Listen patiently and learn. Um, one of the joys of this lockdown for me is I've gotten to know the people I've been stuck with a lot better. Has anybody, any of you learned lots about people that you're with a lot? You don't have to put your hand up. I know you're tired. It's hot in here. It's so hot in here. It couldn't be hotter outside than it is in here. It's hot. I've learned that one family member loves knowing that there's something to look forward to and try to participate with that. I've learned that one family member can't always tell when I'm joking or not joking, and I need to be clearer with that when I'm teasing sometimes. I've learned that one family member will do a better job with a chore when it's very clear what the expectations are. I've found out that another family member does really well with tons and tons and tons and tons of hugs. I've learned that a different family member loves um, sitting close by me while they're watching silly TV shows that are sometimes hard to get through. You know, I've been learning do, do 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 about the people I'm with all the time, listening to them talk. Try not to be defensive. Try not to preserve myself, realizing that I'm on mission to be the grace of Jesus to the people I'm quote unquote stuck with. And you can do that too. I'm actually going to stop there with 6. Band we should worship. Church, if anything, I want us to know that because everything relationally that we go through is about Jesus, we can trust him and be empowered to be his servants in whatever we're called to. And everyone has a different calling in life, which is a grace and a gift. But you can know that with gentleness and humility and patience, you're called to eagerly serve the unity of the church and the unity of your home by the power of the Spirit. And as we do this with faith, we can trust God with the results as long as our hearts are set to pleasing the Master first. Father, we just love you and look to you. God, thank you for all the good things you're doing. Father, I I thank you that the human heart is where you want to dwell. It's where the evil in the world comes from and it's also where the kingdom of God establishes itself. And so, Lord, I pray that each one of our hearts, we would come to you to be discipled by you in relationship with faith, patience, and love, and everything that pleases you. And I pray, Father, that wherever someone's being convicted of a sin or fault, I pray that we would be eager to make it right instead of falling into some sort of passive self-pity. God, I pray that you fill us full of people who are zealous and eager to do what's right in the name of our Savior and King. For your glory, and amen.